You're listening to Girl Side Chats, a podcast for girls and women. From periods to politics, we boldly explore life on the girl side. I'm Vanessa L. Wild, the founder of Girl Side Chats and your host. And I am Heather Conklin, your co-host for Girl Side Chats. And today we are talking about the topic of gaslighting. So we are joined here today by Millie Metz, who's our guest on the podcast to talk about gaslighting. And she has doctoral training in counseling psychology and a strong interest in public health and mental wellness. Welcome, Millie. Welcome. Thank you, ladies. I'm so excited to be here at Girlside Chats. Yeah, so Millie has been uh, coming to Girlside Chats in-person events for almost a year. So we have become friends, and we are so excited to have you on our show today and to talk about a really important topic. We've heard a lot about it in the last year and a half or so, and giving our helping us understand a little bit more about it and ways to uh, protect ourselves from it. So, so what what is gaslighting? Let's start there. Absolutely. So. You know, if we track back, this is a term that comes to us from the literary world, specifically from a play that I believe came out in 1938 in Britain titled Gaslight. And from there, it got remade into a film here in the United States in 1944, starring Ingrid Bergman and I can't remember her co-star. I think it was Charles Boyer. Oh, someone someone handsome. Yeah, of course. Hollywood. (laughs) Yes. And the premise of the show was that the male character was perpetrating uh, domestic abuse really by messing with the female character's mind, suggesting that she had left the gaslight on. When in fact she had turned it off, he kept turning it on and altering her reality. So gaslighting as a construct historically arose from this not fictional space, but from being highlighted in a fictionalized way to really come into the forefront of our consciousness as we know it now as a means of keeping power and victimizing those without power. It's often seen as an intentional method of holding folks down and altering their reality. There's a strong underlying premise of you are crazy. Here is why. What you believe to be true is not actually true. You are just delusional, really making you question and wonder about your frame of reference and your sense of what is real. So it's a it's a pretty that would make you feel crazy. Yes, I mean yes, very insidious sounding. Yeah. So as you were saying that. As you were explaining what gaslighting is, you know, I was thinking, I mean, in politics and and we see this in society as well as in relationships. Yes. So, I mean, I'm thinking, I mean, everything that Donald Trump says or does pretty much, I don't know if that would constitute gaslighting, but certainly like with alternative facts too, um, you know, I feel like that's a form of gaslighting because we're questioning our own knowledge and our own judgment of, is this actually true? Is this real? Um, you know, and certainly, you know, in, in the, with the Me Too movement as well, like with sexual harassment and abusive women, you know, there's all these kinds of things that are, you know, like she asked for it, she silently consented, she's dressed like that. Would that uh, be considered gaslighting by saying those types of things? So I think what we have to be really aware of is the term gaslight is not something you get diagnosed with in the DSM, right? So the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is how disease is sort of monitored from a mental illness standpoint. It is really a systematic way in which we understand broader constructs of not only power, but human interaction. So is 
is the Me Too movement sort of functionally telling women that they are dressing for it or asking for it? Is that gaslighting? I think it might fall under the purview of everyday gaslighting, the way, say, racism is in some ways a form of gaslighting, Mm -hmm. right? If we think through what it means to oppress people and to take away their voice Mm -hmm. and to make them believe that their interpretation of reality is wrong or false or misguided or just misunderstood. Or even, I, and I love that you had said something about racism because I never thought about that. I would never, I, I only know of gaslighting in terms of what's going on in the news right now, but also in personal relationships. Yes. But to think of it um, in terms of racism is fascinating because you're essentially also telling folks that what they're experiencing in terms of uh, prejudice or discrimination is not actually happening. Yes. And that maybe, you know, this group of people is not really being killed in more numbers or being imprisoned in in greater droves. So you're, I mean, there's a whole group of people that are feeling crazy uh, at the hands of people who are purposefully doing this. So it's very malicious. Yes. And so that speaks to the issue of, is it intentional? Can you gaslight someone unintentionally? I feel like that's a follow-up question you might ask I me. have that. That's in our lineup. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, actually, since we're asking the question now, I'm dying of curiosity. Is this actually something that is intentional? So what does gaslighting look like for both the person being gaslighted and for the gaslighter? Right. So uh, there is, of course, like with everything in psychology, a complicated sometimes. So is it intentional? It certainly can be. When we think about gaslighting as a psychologically debilitating phenomenon, it is most often intended by the gaslighter to keep the gaslightee in check, under their thumb, within their power, keep them feeling out of control, right? So the phenomenon itself is leaving the person who's being gaslit in a state of cognitive dissonance, Hmm. right? Cognitive dissonance being a disequilibrium between our thoughts and emotions and really making us question, is what I believe true? Mm. Do I really see and witness and live life in a way consistent with my beliefs? And then you start to question everything from that point. So the intentionality piece, yes, in order for gaslighting to truly be pervasive, we often see it as the result of malignant narcissism. So folks who suffer from everything from narcissistic personality disorder to borderline personality disorder, we've also seen this relationally, predominantly in the media as a man-woman heterosexist dynamic in domestic abuse situations. However, this is a pervasive issue with borderline mothers and children. Hmm. So how would that what would how would that play out? So the way that that looks is if you have an unstable mother and a child is coming into all stages of let's say between nine and twelve sort of that pre-adolescent space, right? You have a pretty clear sense of the world around you, but you have no agency and you have no power because you are a child. So if your mother does things like throw ruckus parties and in the night you wake up in your nightgown and walk out and see that there are people uh, doing drugs and drinking alcohol and kind of living it up at the house, and then the next morning you complain and say, Mom, I had school the next day. Like, I had a big test. I really don't appreciate you setting me up like this. And your mom simply looks at you and says, Honey, that must have been a bad dream. That didn't happen. Is that real? Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. It's really sad and it is very real. Wow. And so that would be from a borderline personality Mother. perspective. Mother. Yes. 
to a child. But of course, you know, there are borderline fathers. There are folks who suffer from other diagnostic conditions outside of borderline personality disorder that this would also apply to. So it's not as intentional or systematic in the context of, say, a manic parent or a psychotic parent. But that's another example where if you have a parent that isn't in touch with reality, how that skews the child's version or understanding of what's real. Mm-hmm. How do you build a schema? How do you see the world if the person teaching you to do that isn't in touch with it? And it seems like it would really mess with their emotional development center. Yes. Yeah. You know, unable to really anchor in their own needs and desires and feelings and perspective Absolutely. where they would feel sort of like a, a wobbly, I'm getting an image of like a wobbly top, you know, the spinner like a dreidel like a dreidel (laughs) yeah Yeah, sorry (laughs) like you know that that's what I'm feeling is that it would just skew you so terribly that you wouldn't trust yourself and then that's where maybe the ultimate control comes in yes or now that person can really mess with you and so this complicates the issue of intentionality right yeah absolutely you yourself are sick you do have some onus as a parent to maybe seek help so you protect your child from your sickness. But can we truly say you are intentionally gaslighting your child? But is it is it a common thing where a narcissistic parent or a borderline personality parent recognizes that they're sick and actually says, I'm sick and need help? Unfortunately, it is not common. So this is where partners come into play. And mm. typically folks like this don't stay partnered for long right. and certainly don't stay partnered in the context of co-parenting. So that creates a real deficit, right? So if we're going to talk about um, risk factors and protective factors, this is where critically having a wide net of support and having truly, you know, sort of the African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. But if you have no village and you're raising a child in a vacuum, that child is then subject to only your whims and fancies. So how does that work, though, you know, for relationships. Yeah, I think that's a big question. Um, you know, I mean, what about, yeah, relationships with addicts or, or having one partner that, that does have a, a mental health issue mm-hmm. where this same kind of dynamic does exist, but you're dealing with not a parent-child relationship, mm-hmm. but you're dealing with two adults. Right. So to that I say, and I have to be clear, my psychological bias will reign supreme here. <laughs> I firmly do believe that our early attachment relationships, which is to our primary caregivers, are replicated and played out in our older attachments. So how we respond and how we react to our romantic partners are most often sort of like a one-to-one to how our parents created dynamics between us and them. So is that more like a replay? Are we just constantly replaying that out? Is that like I, I, looping, you know? The cycle, the cycle continues, <laughs> I right? Hit rewind, yeah, hit rewind, hit rewind. Yes. You know. So it's not quite Groundhog's Day, ladies. <laughs> it's not quite that bad, but it is something to bring into your conscious awareness where if you recognize that you had a parent or primary caregiver that really perpetuated a certain cycle of abuse in whatever form, whether or not that's gaslighting, that you attend to that in the work you do on yourself when you begin to partner. So when you get into that partnered space, this is the work we all have to do. Even if you had the healthiest parents on earth, right? When you find your partner and you begin to engage in this romantic, intimate relationship, and I don't just mean sexually, I really mean emotionally intimate, that creates a real testing point. Most Mm. often, I think anyone who's had a long-term relationship will tell you, no one can piss you off like your partner. Exactly. (laughs) How I think we can all attest to that. (laughs) Amen to that, right? I recently (laughs) said to my my sweet husband, um, he said uh, his standard move after a fight is to say, but I love you. And my standard move is, 
you make me angrier than anyone else alive. Which is a way of saying... Do you say that calmly like that, or is that at the top of your... No, I say, I say it calmly like that, because it's most effective. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. I, I'm impressed. Please rub that off on me. I, I, I yell. I've had a lot of years of training. In my defense, I've had a lot of years of training. But, you know, I, I'm fortunate to not have a partner who's gaslighting me. But I am fortunate to also have a partner who then, because of all my training, will say things like, I feel like you're totally gaslighting me. And then I say, maybe... If I was doing it, you would never know. Got it. Ooh, that's sinister sounding. But there's some truth to that. I I think that um, I've experienced gaslighting and I thought that I was completely insane to the point where I was suicidal. Mm. And when we were in couples therapy, she just told me, trust your experience. She didn't take any side and she just kept saying, Vanessa, trust your experience. And that has rung in my ear, you know, my consciousness for the last five years. So even when I deal with any aspect of feeling like my reality is being turned around, that I just have to anchor myself and trust your reality. Um, So much so that someone actually had said to me, well, maybe you have borderline personality disorder. And I remember sitting on the side of the curb just in tears thinking what is going on this is making me feel like a complete nut and it was pretty intense so I really feel for anybody who who deals with this and I know that that there's other situations where you know I I think that neither one of these people I think both of them were more controlling rather than just um, I don't know if there was a mental illness associated Mm -hmm. with it but uh, I know that there are maybe mental illness or brain disorders that could impact a person's behavior that feed into this. So, yeah, so that's actually is a, yeah, one of the questions that I was wondering about is what about like um, people who are like mildly on the autism spectrum disorder mm-hmm. um, scale or, you know, even like with TBIs, traumatic brain injuries now, um, where it changes the personality or it sort of causes some of that, I guess, mind blindness is the mm-hmm. term, mm-hmm. Um, where these sort of dynamics, these gaslighting dynamics come up in partnerships and those relationships. But again, um, they may not be intentional, but they're still there. What do you do with that? Absolutely. So that's a multi-pronged question. So the first thing that I want to highlight in that is when we look at something like Asperger's syndrome, for example, right, which is sort of a milder form of autism, what we're really looking at is not narcissism, but a lack of empathy and a real deficit in human connection in the interactive way than us neurotypical folks, so sort of folks who don't have the condition, respond to one another, right? Which is fundamentally different than being a narcissist. A narcissist is much more focused and aligned with more of a sociopathic view. So to be sociopathic, we associate that with not having empathy, but that is much more, what's the word for it? It's much more dangerous. Because sociopaths have a mission and an agenda. They so they're intentional goal. with it. Yes. Interesting. So, so they know that they're doing it. Yes. And sociopathy okay. is a mental illness versus like something like Asperger's, which is a neurobiological right. difference ultimately. Yes. And so, it is not classified in the DSM. So, so it is, is uh, not a listed oh. psychological condition. You cannot be diagnosed with Asperger's and have like a, you know, you can't take that in somewhere and say, oh, look, I have this disability okay. in the way that other listed illnesses have. If you can say, I have PDD, which is pervasive developmental disorder, that is in the DSM. 
and that you can seek disability services for. Is narcissism or personality or sociopathy is not a listed syndrome. Narcissistic personality disorder, however, is. So they classify that as a mental illness? They classify it as a mental illness. So it's a brain dysfunction. So this is what's problematic with, with illnesses. We come back to brain science, neuroscience versus the mind. Right, because the mind is this philosophical construct Mm -hmm. that can be ill and disordered. Similarly, with personality disorders, what we have is characterological difficulty. So, with it, with depression, for example, even if you have a long-standing history of depression, it ebbs and flows. There are points of time where you are high functioning and present. If you have a personality disorder, it never goes away. It's sort of the difference between almost being. you know, right-handed or left-handed versus having diabetes or no diabetes. I see. Right? Wow. Okay. So it's sort of this functional way of existing. The Mm -hmm. most we can hope for is symptom management with personality disorder. We are never going to cure a personality disorder. Interesting. It's a characterological illness. That's a mouthful. So, so in terms of, I mean, with all of that, though, there's such a range then of sort of what the like causal, I guess, causal elements might be that would be sort of driving that gaslighting behavior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I, again, I guess I get back to sort of what do we do about it? Is it just something about that we are building awareness, and so if we're seeing certain things or we're feeling certain things, that we just start to recognize those as maybe being signs or symptoms of being gaslighted mm-hmm. is it gaslit i'm not sure it's gaslighted gaslighted i know okay, gaslit sounds-, sounds so much sexier in a way if something correct. yeah <laughs> if something troubling like this can be sexy it's so sexy. but so so i guess that's the question though is sort of what does it look like if i'm being gaslighted mm-hmm. so there are a number of signs and symptoms but i would say the thing to be most consciously aware of is as vanessa's couples therapist had said to her If you find yourself questioning, are the things that are happening to me real? If you really find yourself in a position where your partner or your friend or your mother, whoever is in this intimate relationship, is constantly making you question your reality, that is a huge red flag. If they are controlling to the extent that they do not want you interacting with anyone without their supervision... That is also immensely frightening, right? Mm -hmm. So controlling partners typically tend to get the most spotlight in the context of gaslighting. And that's confusing because um, let's say you're trying to save a marriage and one partner is gaslighting the other partner and the person is saying, you know, you need to stay in the house or I don't want you going anywhere or doing certain things. Um, it, It can feel like it's to save our marriage, but it could actually just be controlling uh, and, Absolutely. and I think that that's where, you know, teenagers would have a really hard time also in relationships where they're young, they're very, they're still a little plastic, right? Absolutely. And we were talking about this in our previous podcast on cyberbullying is where it gets so muddled and to understand what's controlling versus caring. So if you have a young couple and one of them is this type of personality who might be gaslighting them, that can be extraordinarily confusing. So they might not even be aware of red flags let alone knowing what on earth to do about them. Absolutely. And I also want to clarify up front, you know, this is girl side chats and I am a hardcore card carrying feminist, but I do want to highlight the fact that we typically talk about this in the context of men doing the gaslighting and women getting gaslighted. That is not entirely the case. 
Mm-hmm. Women do plenty of gaslighting. That's part of why I really wanted to bring up sort of the borderline mother example. But borderline personality disorder as a diagnosis is a way to gaslight someone. Okay. Right? Interesting. So there's sort of like a, you know, that's sort of like a metacognition thing. There's <laughs> right. a real parallel process there. Right. Because when you start to make someone question their sanity, whether it's through saying you have uh, addiction. Mm-hmm. So what was it? Um, Girl on the Train, Gone Girl, one of them, but one of those movies had like a strong gaslighting theme to it. Oh, it was Girl, Girl, Girl on, on Train. Train. That was a very With intense Blunt. movie. Oh my yes. gosh. But yeah. that is sort of like a front and center example of yeah. what gaslighting looks like. So I have a question though on, on sort of what this looks like. Again, women gaslighting other women or women gaslighting men. Mm. Um, okay, the fashion industry and talking mm. about body types and ideal body types and sort of what's acceptable, mm. what's not. Would that be something that would be sort of under this umbrella, maybe? So I think what becomes challenging is, um, Abraham Maslow said this, right? The man who came up with hierarchy of needs. When all you have is a hammer, the world is full of nails. I say that to highlight, it's very easy when we get deep into a topic like gaslighting, to suddenly see it everywhere in everything. That's what's happening to me right now. I'm thinking of all of these examples of like, holy crap, gaslighting is happening around us in society and in our relationships and just, my mind is like popcorn right now. Yeah, (laughs) so it's so intense because you're overwhelmed by how common this phenomenon is and how little is truly known or understood about it. I would say the question of, is the fashion industry gaslighting women as a whole? Uh, Yes and no. The no comes in where I think we're speaking to using poor self-esteem as a facilitator of a marketing campaign. Is that gaslighting? Yes. But is actively participating in a movement to sell clothing gaslighting? No. The marketing aspect of it is not gaslighting. The choice to use the tactic of decreasing self-esteem in order to sell a product Absolutely is gaslighting. So like having sizes that are like only go up to a very small size in the store, yes. that might be gaslighting tactic. I mean, the existence of a double zero, ladies. What, uh, is, what, ridiculous. Is, what is a double zero? It just idea. makes you feel zero. horrible about anything. Right. Yeah. Like a zero yeah. is the absence of things. Exactly. Yes. I mean, it could be. So naked. if you're a zero, you you do have a body still. Yes. The clothes right. need to fit on. Still right. a person. If you turn sideways, we can still see yeah. you. Still I do yeah. remember when I was a size zero, though. <laughs> I've never been a size zero. But it always made me feel bad as the number went up to four, six, eight, right. whatever it was, and then back down. There was never going back to a zero. And it really did. I will say that it always has made me feel bad to some degree. Uh, so I could see, you know, the way I'm, I'm not using the word gaslight so much cause it's not resonating with me in that way in the, in fashion, but I can, I feel like I'm being messed with. Mm-hmm. So maybe gaslighting mm-hmm. is a way to, to look at it. That's interesting. I remember going into forever 21 and buying a pair of underwear that said large. And I swear to God, it made me cry because they were so small. I was mortified and I was thinking, did I, what happened? Right. <laughs> you don't question the label on the underwear. Yeah. You question how you ballooned to this degree because that's what's in your mind. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So that is that gaslighting. We could argue that it is, but we can also argue that what's at play is that as a society, we have structured power in such a way that women are taught to question themselves. And their right? reality. And their reality. And so, that's what I see is so insidious and so malicious that there are so many institutions set up that have women questioning themselves. And, and one of the things that Heather and I talked about um, a little bit earlier was 
the idea that is perpetrated, I don't is that the right word, but throughout our culture that women are, are, are weak, women are irrational, emotional, and so we've kind of set the stage for this narcissistic gaslighting kind of culture because women are being taught that they're crazy and irrational. Men are being taught that women are crazy and irrational. And they're just, it's like people are just messing with each other. And it, to me, it feels like a very much of a, a mind F, mm-hmm. you know, when you dive into some of this and you say, you see how pervasive some of these behaviors are in marketing or whatever. We say, oh my God, this is horrible. This is wrong. What are we going to do? But it's so pervasive and so deep. So is there a solution and is there a way to curtail this or get rid of it? Or is this just something that we need to learn how to be with, identify and then protect ourselves um, against really? Absolutely. So that is, of course, an enormous ball of yarn to to unravel. Give it to the cat. But I will say (laughs) my strongest recommendation would be to work very hard to build intimate relationships with partners, with friends, with your parents, with your siblings, whoever is an intimate, significant person in your life that is absent of this gaslighting phenomenon. We can and do control who we allow closest to our heart and into our bodies. We do. And while we have that power, we need to use our agency to recognize that this is an active feature of functioning as a woman in society, Mm -hmm. right? Hmm. So that we have power over. We have power over increasing awareness and refusing to participate and be subjected to these mores and customs, but that's a little more limited. We're a little more curtailed unless we're willing to give up associations, partnerships, uh, business dealings. I mean, you have to be willing to really boycott here. And that takes a, a tremendous amount of courage for any woman who, or any person, Absolutely. back to your point, that this doesn't just happen to women, but because we're at Girl Side Chats, we're, we're relating it to women. But uh, being able to um, become aware and learn how to protect ourselves. And yeah, so I mean, I think, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from and sort of figuring out, I mean, the building awareness part, you know, is what we're doing today. And even just talking about this stuff and putting this out into space to think about, because this is a really messy gray area. Um, it's a messy topic. It's something that I didn't realize was even as pervasive as part of our cultural consciousness, our personal consciousness, our social consciousness, um, and, and all over the place. But I mean, I guess the, the question that I'm sort of wondering about is in addition to sort of building awareness about that, like, are there actual things that you can do to protect yourself um, against being gaslit? Like, are there things that you can do to like test, like to see, am I being gaslit? Am I not? Is there like a litmus? Or maybe question? like on Tinder, when you're doing your dating app, you kind of have a little questionnaire for them to fill out and you can tell if this is someone who would gaslight you or. Well, it's like a litmus <laughs> test, right? Like, absolutely. Absolutely. Figure this out. Yeah. I know. To Vanessa's point, I wish there was. <laughs> and if there isn't, I wish there was a way I could construct that because I would be wildly successful, right? Yes, you would. Um, but unfortunately, you know, that is what is the most disconcerting part of being gaslighted. You start out in your relationship with this person believing that they are who they say they are. And over time, they change in front of your eyes. Mm. But are they really changing? Right. But there's no way to know that up front. Right. Because we're left with what they present us with. I would say to Heather's question, 
we are best equipped to counter gaslighting by having a strong supporting community around us. So the number one protective factor is if you have close, intimate people in your life, do not ever let them get cut off by a partner. We all prune as we go. We all have friendships that ebb and flow. This is not to say just because you went to second grade with someone, you were BFFs, that has to last. Ladies, that is a separate podcast. Exactly. (laughs) But it is to say that if you have close friends and your partner hates all of them or starts creating seeds of doubt about every one of them to isolate you, Mm -hmm. to cut you off, to keep you only dependent on him or her, we have a real problem. So the dependency is a, is a key, it sounds like it's a red flag too. If yes. this person is creating a situation where you are highly dependent financially, emotionally, socially on them, uh, that that would be a red flag. Because I think that there's we'll have listeners here who are right now wondering if this is happening to them or if this is what they're experiencing and getting some validation. And that dependency factor, I think it plays a really big part for women because oftentimes women go into a relationship, they become mothers, uh, and so they are naturally kind of dependent now on their partner. And what do they do in the case where they are, you know, a mom, have maybe a nice lifestyle, and this person isn't really changing, they're kind of uncovering, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And now what does this woman do, you know? Yes. So this And he is- cuts her credit cards off, he cuts her insurance off. If she decides to leave, like he starts cutting stuff off and creates this, you know very crazy situation. Absolutely. And we see this time and again, sort of media representation of this centers on what you're describing. Mm -hmm. The classic custody battle, where this is a means in which, in this case, the way media presents it, fathers are trying to get custody of children by painting the mother as crazy. So it's not that the mother is mentally ill, it's that she is being gaslighted. And she's being driven crazily. Crazy. And then the attorneys and situations come up where people are starting to buy in what the husband says. Yes. And this is often an effort not for the husband to have custody of the child, but to hurt the mother by preventing her from having custody of the child. Right. Do we see how sort of pernicious it is? Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm getting chills the, as you're saying yes, that. That's evil. The yeah. ugliness of it yeah, is absolutely. so deep. And this is really where the risk factors to highlight what that is, is why we fight for young women to have higher self-esteem, why we push for self-efficacy, right? Which is separate than self-esteem. Self-esteem is an appraisal or evaluation of the self. Self-efficacy is a sense of competence around achieving our goals. I love that differentiation. I'd love to actually have a chat uh, on that in the future. Um, So self-efficacy is what you are really trying to build. Yes. And I think that that you're seeing a lot of that in so many leadership programs uh, I know Heather's working with youth uh, in one way. I'm working uh, through girl side chats. I know you're working with yes. women in particular. Or, yes. Okay. So, there, and there's so many women's circles and leadership groups and uh, conversation groups, whatever they are, to help women really with this efficacy piece, which isn't really talked about. It's getting muddled with self-esteem. So I love yes. that differentiation. Thank you. Yes. And we will we'll, we'll actually do some more on that if, if you guys are interested. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and audience, you all our girlfriends and everybody listening, let us know if you want to hear more about that. Um, so th- it seems like education is a huge part. Enormous. Awareness. These things build this sense of eff- efficacy. Self. I'm going to use that word all over the place <laughs> because I'm, I'm saying it. I can't say it's it. the word of the day, self-efficacy. It's so fabulous. I love this word. <laughs> um. And 
and kind of just go from there and, and keep building awareness around this. We had uh, one of our Girl Side Chat members uh, wanted to do a group on this, uh, on educating women about gaslighting because mm-hmm. for some, she was finding it was so pervasive in a group of women that she knew and her girlfriends. Yes. And they were feeling really lost and just totally overwhelmed with why is this happening to them? What is this? And what do we do about it? And maybe like one of the suggestions, and I don't know if this is something that you recommend or not, Mm -hmm. Millie, um, but the idea of having people that are close to you that know your significant other, but again, aren't necessarily involved in the relationship directly, um, but that you can basically check your reality with. Mm. That soundboard. Yes. Yes. Because again, I think that's the litmus test that I was sort of referring to, uh, because if you are being told that you're crazy Mm -hmm. and you start to question your own judgment... Mm -hmm. Where do you kind of like standardize that? Like, where do you figure out, well, is this actually true or is this not? Like, and how do you do that if you are now isolated and have no one to check in? Or if you have, you know, I, I think the difficulty can be for, for people who become a little bit isolated is, or they have mutual friends. So nobody wants to say that the partner is a rotten egg. Yes. So they hum and they hem and haw over it. And well, he's just hurt or he's just confused or maybe you need to spend more time together. So, you know, that can also be then kind of um, feed into her sense of WTF. Yes. So it's finding the right people you know that can Look, maybe I mean, be more objective. A hundred percent, Vanessa. And to deepen that and bring it back to the political argument that Heather had started part of this discussion with, you know, if we track back to Hitler, let's let's take it out of Trump for one minute and just really rewind to the Second World War. Nazis as a group of German soldiers were not evil, awful men. A lot of them did evil, awful things at the command of Hitler, the malicious sort of big daddy of gaslighting. That was a pernicious, pervasive effort to color an entire race of people. And it wasn't just Jews. Remember, people, gay folks, gypsies. I mean, there were all sorts of other people who were taken into these death camps, right? Mm -hmm. So I bring up Nazis in the context of saying, in your example, Vanessa, the people who support the man who is gaslighting the woman, they are not necessarily awful bystanders, but the bystander effect is alive and well. No one wants to stand up and say, oh, so-and-so is really coming after you. They want to protect the family unit, I'm putting air quotes in, ladies. I wish you could see me. (laughs) I'm making some real finger gestures here to highlight the fact that, you know, one of the things you can do is really speak out. Speak out. If you see a woman in your life struggling with this, help and bolster her sense of reality because you are her checkpoint. You are her totem. You are sort of here to be the anchor, if you will to supporting her revelation. And then whether or not you assist in liberating her from that construct, the one thing you can do is say, no, no, you are not crazy. I see it too. No, that is not insane. He is expecting you to do something that violates the fundamental principles of who I know you to be. So this also seems to be where the more we are um, anchored in our values, and knowing ourselves and trusting ourselves, then these things are less likely to happen. So it seems like as women who are supporting other women and empowering and actually encouraging women to take their power back, um, that that is really an active role that we need to be playing. Yes. 
Yes. And to take it a step further, I want to be really clear in saying women with a lot of education, women with a lot of money, women with many, many, many years of therapy, even psychoanalysis, you know, that's five days a week of therapy, um, are capable and have fallen prey to efforts to be gaslighted. Well, I think you see that in the news a lot right now is you see some really intelligent women who are talking alternative facts and you're going, what on earth is happening? So you kind of feel like they've just been ramrodded into some alternate universe that we're watching one thing. It's like the, like the, the Truman show sort of, you're just going like, what is going on? Are you really believing this? Are you well-paid actor? Have you bought into this similar to what happened to people uh, in the Hitler era where they started to believe this alternate reality that all these people were horrible and after them and taking their jobs and, and believing this insane world where they felt like they had to legitimately protect themselves by killing other people. I mean, so kind of getting back to the, the political end and I mean the relationship end too, you know, I mean, I guess when we're talking about like people protecting, you know, people Mm -hmm. who are doing gaslighting and where it's, it's Mm -hmm. very clear and yeah, they're not willing to say something or speak up about that. And they're sort of feeding that. Is that something that like as a bystander, you know, your, your self identity is at stake. I mean, because now you're sort of being gaslit by default. Two. Yes. I don't know if that's yes. the way to no, say that. I, I, I understand that perspective. You know, they know, this really brings to the fore the idea that as a bystander, do you have a responsibility to the people you're standing by? And that is very much a values discussion, right? If you were raised in a family where, to begin with, you don't express feeling and emotion, then you're not likely to involve yourself in someone else's family where there is a lot of emotion and a lot of drama unfolding. You might have a lot of judgments about what that means about those people. Hmm. We've all been taught things about those people. Exactly. Whoever they might be. Right? The others. Yes. The other, yeah, the, the people who are unlike you. Yes, don't share the not me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so are the bystanders being gaslighted? That is debatable because there are bystanders who I think are truly innocent and therefore are also in a secondhand way, kind of like secondhand spoken, getting that secondhand gaslighting. There are other bystanders who I think bear a little more responsibility because they actually see what is playing out and they choose to not get involved. For whatever reason. Yes. And it can be anything from a diffusion of responsibility. Somebody else will call 911. Or self-protection. Oh, interesting. Yes. Yeah. Or self-preservation. Like, I'm not a hero. Mm-hmm. I can't get involved in this. Right. Mm-hmm. right. I have children that depend on me. Yes. Interesting. That's very interesting. So this is, yeah, this is definitely something that's outside of just your immediate relationships. This is something yes. that's societal um, and really, I think, needs to be more of a discussion. I mean, I agree with you, Vanessa. Like, we need to be talking about this. I think we need to have tools and strategies um, that come from these conversations about these things because this stuff is pervasive now. I mean, I'm going to think about the news when I look at partisan, you know, spin on different, you know, news media. It's like, I feel like that fits that sort of bubble of... Absolutely. Yeah, screen with your thinking. Well, with the teenagers real quick, um, that just with the shooting that just happened, you have all of these adults who, where did they crawl out of that are gaslighting these students, calling them babies, and why are they whining? And these these entitled millennials think that they can just take our guns away. I mean, it is an unbelievable denial of an incredibly horrific murder. 
And there are adults who are denying these children's publicly grown-ups denying these children's experience and their and and the importance and the um, trauma that happened. And I think that this is where I've been watching the news the last couple of days mortified. I actually had to take a break Mm. because I thought somebody, we have to just educate and stand up in whatever way we possibly can, because those people should not be allowed to do that. I mean, that is abuse. Straight up abuse. Absolutely. On a mass level. Being complicit as an adult in a situation where teenagers are still children, they still lack the agency the way that we have as adults to perform in the world. We live in a beautiful time in the context of things like social media where teenagers have taken more agency because of their access to technology and getting their voice out, telling their stories, having a narrative that they're seeking to share. However, you know, the buck stops there. It's sort of like uh, hashtag activism. Not that it isn't meaningful, not that there isn't a time and a place, but how is that bringing about actual change? Mm-hmm. And is that a, a teenage a hashtag? A teen hashtag? Is that one of the hashtags the kids are using? I mean, I feel like there are just so many. How oh, does so anyone many. keep up okay. with it? Well, that, so, yeah, that's what I was going to say. There's so many hashtags for every different cause, different instances that come up, and, and certainly even just the term activist, you know, activist, it's... It's sort of a loaded term that sort of means nothing mm-hmm, at this point because mm-hmm. anybody and everybody and their grandmother could be an activist. But what is it that you're actually accomplishing? Yeah, and it, it for me, I, I guess that the kids are using it. I, part my thinking is they may not have the agency in the way that we do. But I remember being a teenager and having some very strong ideas in terms of values and convictions mm-hmm. and knowing what was right and wrong. And the world... I felt like the world was so insane, basically telling me that discrimination against women was okay and that you should be quiet and you should pull your hair back and you should do these things. And if you aren't doing those things, you're not good enough. That was crazy making. So for these kids to stand out and speak up the way they are and to fight against what this kind of gaslighting, I say, go for it. They aren't, they don't have the experience But I don't have the experience of being gunned down in my school. So I can't really even compare my set of wisdom with theirs because they're coming. I mean, that's a completely different situation. So I just, I feel like it's, it can blow up the conversation, terrible word to use, but it can ignite the conversation. Uh, I'm on a roll. These are terrible words. (laughs) It can bring deep awareness or big, you know, impactful awareness that, gaslighting is real it's happening everywhere we're seeing it and to start calling it out for what it is i was just gonna say exactly that it's it's yeah calling it what it is absolutely absolutely and i do you know want to step up into the light and say clearly we want to be cautious and cognizant of reflecting on what is gaslighting versus what are some of these other features and phenomenon that we're seeing more and more in mass media i mean There are so many ways in which people are undercut and held down, right? I do not want us to take away from this. Any oppression of a people is automatically gaslighting. Thank you. Of course not, right? Exactly. There are other things at play. So yes, there are ways in which everyday gaslighting instances take place similar to casual racism or everyday racism. None of it makes it any less racist or casual, Mm-hmm. Right. Similarly yeah. with gaslighting, yeah, exactly. these everyday encounters, I don't want I don't want us to take this as a step to call and label everything gaslighting because it really dilutes the power and the meaning of it. Mm-hmm. The entrenched, repetitive degradation of self 
that is incumbent in having been gaslighted. We don't ever want that to, to have less power. We never want that to be less than what it is. And I, I, th- I think that that's really important. When I, when I talk to kids about cyberbullying mm. um, and we talk about harassment and stalking, yes. they, they'll say, I don't want to tell my parents because I don't want my parents to stalk me. Mm. And so they're using language. When you use language like that, it really takes away the, yes. the depth and the importance of it in context. Yes. Uh, it's like calling a uh, wolf. Or is that what the uh, story? Crying wolf. Crying wolf. Crying wolf. It's yes. kind of that idea yes. is that, you know, at some point the word loses power. So we need yes. to make sure that it maintains its integrity so we know what to call it, how to call it out, and what to do about it. And I mean, I think even, you know, I mean, I agree with all of that. And I agree that, you know, we need to make sure that the, the term gaslighting really does hold the power and the meaning that it does um, because it's a really serious I mean, issue and construct, but part of it, you know, is, I mean, even just from discussing this though, you know, there's a lot of things, not just to address the gaslighting specifically, but just it's speaking up. Um, I mean, we keep getting back to that, you know, kind of thing where it's like, you know, speak truth to power, um, speak up, call it as you see it. You know, if it seems like bullshit, it smells like bullshit. It's probably bullshit. Um, and just knowing that, you know, your perspective is worth something. And, you know, if you need and you feel more comfortable going out and litmus testing with somebody that you trust to check your perspective and make sure that you're understanding and seeing this correctly, you know, do that. But I think either way, we can make positive change in our relationships. We can make positive change socially, politically, I think even culturally and interrelationally. Um, You know, those are all things that we can do no matter what. So, I mean, I think this discussion has served a lot of purposes in terms of empowering women, but in terms of empowering really everybody absolutely, um, to, you know, to get out there and really start questioning things. I mean, I think it boils down to question everything. Um, question or, everything and trust yourself. I yeah. think that's like question everything and trust your experience. Or this, <laughs> yeah, this idea of this healthy skepticism, right? Like we don't ask enough questions and it's sort of a critical thinking component too. Mm-hmm. If we're seeing something and it doesn't make sense and we're like, wait a minute, I didn't think it was that you know, we don't just jump to those conclusions mm-hmm. of going, well, I guess I was wrong or I guess I'm right. It's it's about really, you know, critically thinking about that, pulling in other information to help support that. And in that vein, I think the most helpful, loving thing any of us can do is to reach out and connect. So underlying all of this is a very real human instinct, which is if you see something, say something. Right. So to Heather's point, some of us are strong and empowered and bold, and we will stand up in the middle of the room and shout. Others of us are a little bit more timid or quiet and have another way. There's sort of like a silent resilience. It's not to say one is better than the other. It's not to say be one, become one, find a way to take on the characteristics of what is not your strength. But All of us have it in us to pick up the phone, reach out, show up at someone's house if you're concerned, you know, look in on your friends and loved ones. Sort of this is not the time to check out. This is the time to check in. I love that. And and giving women support to reach out when they they want to or they need to and know that none of this makes makes us weak. None of it makes us uh, incompetent. Uh, when we get overwhelmed emotionally, it's very natural to kind of shut down. But that is a time to reach out to your sisters, reach out to your friends, reach out to your 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 village, yes. so to speak, and say, "I'm feeling overwhelmed, and I don't understand what's going on, and I need help." 
And if you can stick with those three lines, that can really start a conversation and perhaps um, get you on the path to getting help uh, as needed. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I love that. Check in. Don't check out. That was yes. really, I, that was still that's like a, ringing through me right now. I think, yeah, that's our take home message today yes. is, is, yeah, check in. Yeah. So if you see something, say something. Don't, it's not a time to check out, check in, trust your experience. And we're here on Girlside Chat. So, I mean, we always have places um, on our Facebook page, on the podcast and comments. Um, if anything resonates with you or if you, you do want to check your perceptions or you just want, you know, some sort of outside feedback, um, Share your stories, share your thoughts, share your, your concerns, your ideas, um, because part of the Girlside Chats platform is really about keeping these conversations going because we are your community, you are our community, um, and so we want to be here for you too. So I just wanted to open that up to all of our listeners. And it's always a place where you get to share what's really going on in your life. This is a, I like to say, a safe zone and a place to be messy and real. Uh, if you're interested in connecting further with Miss Millie, we will have her contact information on our website and in the comments thread uh, in Facebook. So please reach out to her if you would like to. Heather and I are always around. Uh, again, we want to hear your stories. We want to see your comments. We want to chat with you. We will be doing a live podcast or I'm sorry, a Facebook live on Friday uh, at 11 a.m. So check in with us and... We'll see you on the girl side. Yes, and thanks for joining Thank us, Thank you Millie. so much, Thank Millie. Thank you so much. This was yeah. so much fun. <laughs> Thank you. See you next time.